shit ton of movies since we last did one of these. Yeah. Um, several really good ones uh, that I would highly recommend. I think I sent you a brief list, but that was before the Halloween week. Yeah. I have been doing a lot of rewatches. Uh, oh, yeah. Lately. I haven't seen a ton of like new stuff. Sometimes I watched a bunch of garbage uh, just because I knew it was garbage and it had been hanging out in my shutter queue for a while. Yep. And I just wanted to get some of it out of the way. And some of it was interesting. So I feel like we should do like a, you know, at some point we should do like a whatever speed dating of, <laughs> of just a bunch of movies that we've watched. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a movie called We Go On that I would love for you to tell me how, I would love to hear how you feel about it. Um, whether you think that it's genuinely scary, uh, at least in parts as I do, or whether you think it's just sentimental shit. I think it's also in my, you know, like to watch Shutter Queue. So there's a good chance I'll think it's both, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ghost story for sure. Oh, okay. Um, Color Out of Space, the much anticipated Color Out of Space podcast that we're doing, because no one else has done one. Yeah, no one's talked about it at all. <laughs> uh, but it's it was definitely something I was waiting for because Lovecraft adaptations, uh, for the most part, have been really bad. Yep. But you have seen other adaptations and i think the the exception obviously you know to to that um is you know with uh, jeffrey combs reanimator oh yes of course i've seen reanimator the exception being reanimator at which although you know in order to happen you know was was very so campy mm-hmm. that i think a lot of you know maybe more serious lovecraft connoisseurs might have you know, might not have appreciated yeah, might have that series as much. Aside. Uh, although I would say that this film is also kind of campy to a certain extent. Agreed. Uh, just, you know, given the presence of Nicolas Cage and his, like, he's finally evolved to his final form. Uh, you know, it's like his entire career has been leading up to this movie. <laughs> and it's, it's finally here. <laughs> I really, I really agree with that. And, uh, and there's been a lot made of that. Like people have, you know, talked a lot about what he does in the, in, in the movie and that is so unique. Um, but uh, anyway, the, the preliminaries. So this is um, 2019 uh, film based on a 1927 uh, novella by H.P. Lovecraft uh, taking place in rural Massachusetts. Uh, this is directed by Richard Stanley. I don't know if we want to go down the rabbit hole of the history that that Richard Stanley has, um, but uh, he adapt he adapted it. He uh, directed it. Uh, he co-adapted it. Co-wrote it and directed it. Nicholas Cage, uh, of course, and then Jolie Richardson, who I thought was someone else. I know not whom. The entire movie. Like I, I thought this is some actress that I am supposed to know their name. Um, and I think this is the, maybe the first time that I had, uh, seen Julie Richardson in anything. Um, 
and then a bunch of solid younger actors as well. Uh, Madeline Arthur, Brendan Meyer, uh, Julian Hilliard, um, Elliot Knight. Uh, and then, of course, Chong was in it. <laughs> yeah. um, Tommy Chong uh, was in it, um, also sort of maybe playing the role that he was always meant to play. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Uh, and then, there, but there's also this is kind of cool. There's also an original soundtrack by uh, Colin Stetson, who has played with XI, has played with Arcade Fire, has played with Tom Waits, mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a, a listen to that soundtrack. Uh, yeah, he uh, he also did the soundtrack to um, Hereditary and will be uh, creating the soundtrack to the upcoming um, adaptation of uh, Junji Ito's um, Uzumaki. Wow. Like, you know, those are, uh, I guess, interesting pieces to score. So I ex didn't expect very much of it. Um, I don't really know anything about Richard Stanley. It sounds like you might have interesting factoids, but other than the fact that he directed um, The Island of Dr. Morrell. <laughs> well, he was fired. That was the, the, the backstory or the rabbit hole is that he was fired from Island of Dr. Moreau. And this is the first time he's directed since then. And it's been, uh, it's been a time. Um, and so, you know, this, so, so this is a, kind of a big deal. All right, I, I see. Uh, yeah, I just didn't, I was like, this might be good. It might not be good. I don't necessarily, uh, have the same affinity for Nicolas Cage that a lot of people do. Although after, uh, after Mandy, that has changed pretty dramatically. Um, and he's almost doing the same, you know, like an evolved form of that in this movie. Haven't uh, seen it. Oh, you've got to watch it. Uh, but I ended up like really, really liking it. I think that um, some of the body horror is some of the best I've ever seen, uh, especially the sound that they associated with different um, transformations. There's like one in particular that is just like the sound alone is uh, horrifying and the visuals are, are, you know, equally disturbing and awful and it's it came out really good i think what did you think of the film matt i thought that it was uh the exorcist of lovecraft films um yeah. i i didn't think that i mean i thought it's still an imperfect film i think in some ways but to me it's the whole sort of reach grasp ratio uh <laughs> i think that oftentimes and i felt like this uh about hereditary uh as well if the the if the worst that you can say about a film it comes down to the fact that the that the director's reach exceeded their grasp in some ways, that they didn't get to kind of the perfect subjective picture that you had of of some story, mm -hmm. um, then that you should still look for the ways in which you really appreciate the film aesthetically, um, sure. as well as. I think uh, in terms of maybe fidelity to the original story, which mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to really carefully read for the first time just a year ago, uh, as well as to listen to the, a great podcast, uh, the HP Lovecraft literary podcast uh, treatment of the story with really great narration and then annotation and, and commentary. 
Um, and so I really have come to appreciate the story. And so I was, I too was nervous. I was like, is this going to, you know, is this going to be like so many other, you know, sort of weird adaptations of Lovecraft? And there's some ones, there's some that I haven't seen yet that I, I think are, that I've heard good things about too, but, but I really liked this. Um, I thought that uh, it was a new standard. I think it set, sets a new standard for Lovecraft adaptations that Richard Stanley intends to try to fulfill with his uh, adaptation of the Dunwich Horror. I think you are absolutely right. I think it fits, you know, very well into this sort of new wave of uh, like actually good horror movies that mm -hmm. you know are becoming not just you know few and far between, but the you know one of the forward pushing genres in terms of like movies that I actually want to see and not just because there's like slime in them, but because they are high quality uh, in a variety of ways. And I guess that the thing that that I appreciated about it was had to do with this thought that I had about uh, Lovecraft um, after um, binge listening to a lot of podcasts and rereading uh, a bunch of stories. Uh, and that's this, this horror as sci-fi as horror <laughs> kind of thing that's going on, um, which is that, anything we don't understand that where really bad shit happens to us is horror. Um, anything that we at least theoretically grasp uh, about bad shit that happens to us then transitions, I think, into sci-fi. Sci-fi, sure. Uh, and then if it's anything, if it's stuff we've already assimilated in our knowledge systems and it's bad, uh, that's just drama. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> that's just... Uh, you know, that's just late night uh, drama. Um, but, uh, but I think that there's a certain beauty to that, um, to that dialectic between horror and sci-fi that this film captures. Uh, and the, the colors, and of course, you know, this is a, a story about color. Um, yeah. And the, the, uh, so the, you know, the backdrop uh, is, is really amazing. Um, the, the kind of emotions, I think, from the characters uh, is also part of this sort of almost symphonic beauty um, that I felt about the, the terror that they were feeling um, and how it was sort of on this cusp of, of horror and sci-fi for me, if that makes any sense. I don't know if, if I'm just... Um, you know, just completely uh, uh, trying to describe something that I can't describe. No, it's not, I'm, I think I'm tracking, uh, tracking with you there. Um, I think I'll, what happens in a lot of sort of Lovecraftian horror is, and what definitely happens in this film that is along those same lines is, you know, in a lot of like sort of standard horror movies, whether they're kind of supernatural or science fiction-esque, the characters themselves are still, um, they're still separate from the horror that is going on. They're observers or they're victims or participants or whatever, or not participants. Um, but in this movie, uh, you know, it 
like Cage's performance uh, of of his psyche slowly degrading and being affected by the color out of space uh, is so brilliant because there's like really, you know, very few characters in the movie who do not become part of the horror. Yes, so much. Um, On that note, what did you think of uh, Jolie Richardson's performance um, from the uh, incident with with the knife um, to uh, obviously the the transformation the, the horrific transformation of of characters towards the end of the film uh, the part <laughs> toward the end um, where she goes after her daughter uh, you know saying I'm hungry um, I don't get scared by horror movies very often anymore uh, but I was like I backed away from the screen like physically <laughs> wow back because uh, it was so um terrifying on I think a really deep level you know and the um I don't remember the n- name of the actress who plays the daughter but you know she's saying like mommy uh and the whole interplay was just like terrifying to me yeah I want to say that's Madeline Arthur yeah I I the more I uh get older the less the more labor law I take, the less space I have for the names fair, of fair. actors and actresses. Right. Uh, What's going on there is a phenomenon that is of great interest to you in film. Uh, what, which one? <laughs> the, the, the sort of body horror element and, uh, and the, the, um, the joining and conjoining of bodies and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my... <sighs> it's one of the things that really got me, I think, into horror in the first place. Um, And I was trying to explain this to my partner the other night, who is uh, not, you know, not into horror like I am, but is also like very much on the train and like trying to, uh, you know, absorb the the silly things that I say. Um, And I was on a a tear about how uh, body horror is kind of, often about reproduction um it's you know about the fact that during certain parts of our lives um when we're reproducing our bodies become very horrifying and very like out of our control and then so you've got this scene in this movie where not only has mom been fused with one of her children uh in the most like grotesque uh, I think example of anything like this I've ever seen on film, but she's also going to eat her other child. Uh, it's just like the pinnacle of what is scary about our bodies. I, and I can't help but um, make reference to or think about how uh, we, you know, we talked about the film uh, Society uh, oh, yeah. many many moons ago, um, and uh, very different you know, very different tone to, to it, a very different kind of feel uh, yeah. to it. Um, There's a <laughs> yeah, but, but nevertheless, uh, this sort of, um, the, the idea of, of fusion of bodies and bodies consuming other bodies uh, is, uh, I, you know, I think um, a metaphor for all kinds of hierarchical relationships and all kinds of relationships that sort of blur the line between, uh, you know, between 
I guess, symbiosis and, and dominance, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was really reminded uh, during a lot of this movie of the film Slither, which is like, you know, spoilers, it's sort of about um, terraforming or the concept of alien terraforming in the same way that this movie is, or, uh, you know, in the the idea that there's sort of one entity that wants to take over the species uh, biologically. Um, and in that movie, it's expressed in the form of worms, um, which, you know, kind of taps into pretty standard fear centers. Like we're very scared of larvae, of parasites, of things that can get inside of us. And then I think that this, you know, is very, very old story, um, but just kicks that up, you know, another couple of notches with, well, it's not even really like a biological entity so much as it is uh, a force that corrupts or changes uh, biology. Right. Uh, I think what strikes me too about the force in, in Color Out of Space and the the color, the the entity, um, is the idea that it could be doing whatever it's doing, um, not even intentionally or consciously. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of Lovecraft mythos is that there are these these beings that are not necessarily uh, evil so much as they are indifferent and we just sort of get stepped on by them in one way or another. Um, but this one feels different because I feel like there's, uh, you know, this reminds me much more of a, the, the entity to me does not seem even as malevolent or as dangerously indifferent as the old ones. You know, this may even be a visitor that doesn't really understand what it's doing or doesn't really understand um, the effect that it's having, but also isn't necessarily a terribly powerful entity, um, just an entity that does not mix well with the environment <laughs> that it's in. And then, of course, it's, you know, it's in the water, uh, mm -hmm. which is probably says a lot about, you know, our innate feelings about the things that we need and the things that we consume and how needing and consuming things can be very dangerous. Well, and especially in the context of, so I feel like the, in the, to me, the, the sort of social interpretation of this is it's a kind of welcoming the stranger versus protecting the farmer and the inability or refusal of society at large to do either or to be concerned with either of those things. We can talk about how the trouble really starts when the city folks intervene mm -hmm. and uh, and start pounding it with a hammer and shit. Um, As always. That's definitely the, the take that I think other interpreters of the original story have had. And so I don't think it's a it's not a, a terrible take. Um, to me, some of the most sort of heart-wrenching parts of the story are what all of this does to uh, the food and the livestock and the, you know, and the animals and the nature and all of these things that, you know, where it just, 
it sort of kills it or voids it um, and distorts it and mutates it um, and does all these things. And the, you know, and this, this farmer is just helpless um, as it happens. And if you read the original story, you know, this becomes this sort of horrific tedium that these characters go through as they are, as they just feel completely helpless and enveloped by whatever's going on. I was like, gosh, how are we going to end up talking about capitalism? But <laughs> uh, we got, we got right there. You know, anti-immigration capitalism, <laughs> anti-immigration and capitalism, um, failure to welcome the stranger, uh, dual objectification of the stranger and the farmer. The farmer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the movie is also maybe, maybe trying and not quite getting there um, to draw some parallels just between the color out of space um, and the kind of pedestrian neoplasms that we deal with um, already on the planet. Uh, okay. The film opens with uh, Lavinia conducting a spell uh, to rid her mother of cancer. Um, and she asks, uh, you know, the, the four um, earth, earth, wind and fire uh, and water that uh, the cancer be burned out of her mother, um, which, you know, is of course interesting later on the animals that are all fused together. Um, the water uh, analyst guy, hydrologist, that's what they're called. Um, the hydrologist and the sheriff. Howard Phillips. <laughs> yeah. Uh, remark that they look like the animals that look, look like they have radiation burns. And, you know, cancer is a almost similar corruption of the cells of the body. Uh, they mutate into something, something else, something that cannot, uh, you know, be compatible with life as we know it. Uh, and I, you know, I feel like that's a, maybe like a, a first grade, you know, or like a middle school interpretation of this movie. Um, like, oh, this is about cancer. Uh, but I, I, you know, oh, well, that's, I think I'm right anyway. <laughs> no, I, I, I think uh, that that's, um, I'll, I'll cut this uh, naked praise for your <laughs> out of the final copy, but uh, no, I think that's valid. And um, I want, and I was, I was curious and I'm not, you know, the, 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 some of those connections are ones that I'm kind of slow on. And so I, I was curious as to what to make of that opening scene. Yeah, well, I think you're supposed to feel like maybe it's her fault that uh, the, you know, maybe this, um, kind, you know, kind of simple um, new age, like witchcraft that she's doing um, is, is at fault initially for the appearance of the color. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really just there to establish there's this thing that happens really to a lot of people and a lot of families and is 
incredibly destructive, one of the most destructive forces known to humanity. Um, and then all of a sudden something appears from elsewhere that is fundamentally similar, but so much bigger and so much uh, less controllable that it really amps up that feeling of, you know, helplessness and suppression. That certainly jives with Lovecraftian horror as the stories of ordinary people, if somewhat overeducated people, uh, consumed and overcome by forces that they don't understand and can't control and feel like, you know, almost, you know, feel as, as they, as if they, they go insane, you know, or go crazy trying to, trying to contain or control or, or cope with. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think all, all of this kind of horror, all sort of like eldritch abomination, you know, or Lovecraftian horror is, you know, so deeply connected to really pedestrian anxieties, or I mean, comparatively pedestrian anxieties, but just, you know, mirrors uh, or amplifies the way that we feel about the things that we deal with in, in real life that are really scary, you know, it's like, what if it was, what if it was cancer with tentacles? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that's really scary, you know. Anything else to say about Nicolas Cage's um, performance? Um, you know, you had said you were not a fan. I guess I was not a fan either, <laughs> but that I've been impressed with the way that he has tried to push the envelope on what it means to, to be an insecure man. Oh. Um, and that, you know, that, that he's done this in, in a number of different ways. Uh, he's treated with, you know, he's treated issues like terminal depression. You know, in this case, I think, you know, that there's an amplification of the helpless patriarch going on. Yeah. And I mean, he makes a couple of references in the movie to having had like a scary or abusive father. And at one point even says like, I'm, I'm not him. Like I'm not my father when he is like losing his mind. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that represents a real fear. Um, that's probably, you know, pretty common um, in what modern American uh, males, but also in, I think a lot of parents in general, um, like I'm not going to make the mistakes of my parents. I'm not gonna replicate the sins of my father. And then, you know, shit gets wild. And it turns out that you revert to your deepest level programming, um, which might be to start screaming at everybody and, you know, threatening to shoot your wife son uh gross combination um or feeding feeding your daughter to her mother like it brings out the the worst in him which is also his greatest fear is becoming this like scary guy and then that's what the color taps right into when he loses his mind and even before then, when he's trying to compartmentalize everything, both literally, literally and figuratively, trying to compartmentalize 
all of the stuff that's going on around the family. Yeah, it's uh, it kind of shows you how few options there are for like how to behave as a man experiencing, um, you know, patriarchal heteronormativity in the context of a family. Like there's only so, there's only so many choices or you maybe feel like there's only so many ways to be that are acceptable and that you can easily reach for, especially in a crisis. I mean, I've definitely wanted to put grotesque hybrid creatures into particular rooms up in the attic and never open those doors again in a manner of speaking. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of folks do. And like, I don't know, that's definitely something that I kind of fear on a very deep subconscious level is that like, I will not be able to handle uh, some, a difficult situation and that I will just like turn into an asshole. And I, you know, I think time has demonstrated that that's a real danger. Uh, For me, it certainly has. I I mean, you know, speaking, Um, speaking only for, for myself. (laughs) That's okay. You can speak for me too, because it's definitely true. Um, But you know, what do you do when aliens are in your well and your kids uh, are in, you know, great danger? Um, how do you act? You, know? uh, you you cross this Rubicon of, you know, this this terrifying combination of overprotectiveness and complete denial. Yeah. And I think that I mean, I just don't like Nicolas Cage's like really super handy performances. Usually I'm just like not like I don't like stuff like that. I don't know how to explain it, uh, despite like my affinity for camp and for like over the top cinema in general i like blech, whatever but he's doing it in horror movies now which is a totally different you know can of fish than doing it in like con air or face off or whatever face off um, i mean yeah. to be fair face off you know has uh has aged better than people expected maybe not for the original <laughs> reasons intended that's that's very true uh, but you know, I'm like, oh, this is finally like appropriate. Uh, like you're playing somebody who is who has just flipped out, basically, uh, because of the psychological pressure that the situation is exerting, and it comes across as almost like more believable, even though it's in this really, uh, you know, really aesthetic horror movie. Uh, it's, I am like, oh, okay, Nicolas Cage, you're, this is, this is what this was for. This is like what the development of his career was for, was like for him to find, to do Mandy and do this movie. And like, I don't know if you've seen Mom and Dad. It's a lot less like Cage in comparison to the other two, but still like, it's a, a, you know, nice little horror movie. And um I think he should have been doing that all along, except this is the first time in like the history of Western cinema that you are like allowed to be in horror movies uh, consistently. And it's like not a, it's not career suicide. Well, it's so, it's very encouraging to me because I, like you felt like this film belonged in that bullpen uh, of new of new horror directors and new new um, new directions in 
in serious horror uh, and at the same time you know was able to i think play on absurdities and dark humor in a really good way that uh you know that that was becoming of 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 what the you know the the lead actor was able to you know to bring to that so you know more power to to everyone and let's see whether Dunwich Horror uh continues this raising the bar for Lovecraft films I feel like up to this point the vast majority of of sort of adaptations have been very loose adaptations or or very bad ones um with just a few exceptions which we'll have to do a separate piece on but uh, but I feel really encouraged by this, um, and it was just the convergence of a lot of, of of good themes and good work that I had been, you know, kind of getting into lately. So I felt really lucky to, uh, you know, to have fallen back into some of that um, weird fiction uh, in order as a as kind of a prerequisite to to understanding this. Um, Matt, I'm going to ask you a question from like 2000. 14. Uh, have you seen True Detective? No, I guess I haven't. You should watch the first season if you get the opportunity because I kind of earlier in the summer this year when I, you know, we'd been in lockdown for a few months and I was thinking that I was going to get involved in some, you know, creative projects and stuff. I, I started really uh, talking and writing a lot about um, horror as its own, you know, methodology. Uh, and then I watched the first season of True Detective and I got like furious uh, that someone had done, you know, what I would have done uh, without me. Um, I don't, I, I won't tell you too much uh, to avoid, you know, spoilies, but um, you should definitely watch it. And we, we should talk about it because there's like a lot going on there in um, terms of like bridging the gap between uh horror and like very very like normal um non-supernatural or non-science fiction like pedestrian fears i will and it will probably be a step up from what we've been doing for the last week here which is watching is going going through the phantasm series oh well my gosh now there's a now there's some films (laughs) 